Oh, oh, I just, I just, I'm just used to that. Speaking of things that I'm used to, not recording this podcast on time. Welcome back. It's the Hex Drinkers podcast, and we're at episode. 20 boys that's 10 times two that's four times five and that's six and two thirds times three you're really proud of that one aren't you i had been doing that math in my head for like about five minutes beforehand i was like what is i need one more that's like kind of funky with fractions um but anyway i will say though that i had a really good segue and then you really just threw me off the game (laughs) oh i was trying to be really clever and make a thing about um climate change you know just acknowledging the fact that things are heating up uh strictly because today's episode is the most hottest of takes you can see how that's kind of my trademark is these really roundabout and like you really have to think about them things but i feel like they're funny if you actually uh, take the time to never mind chev would you tell them what we're doing today because people don't want to hear me talking julian do you want to go over who's on the podcast in case someone decides to join us for episode 20 for the first time Uh, no i don't okay all right fine (laughs) we'll get to it (laughs) Yeah, you, you all right whatever all right fine uh, i'm eric. eric hello uh julian is the one who was just talking oakley is also here hello and chev is about to tell us uh what we're doing today yep so today we are doing hot takes some of these honestly kind of cold but we're taking the the hottest takes of people from this podcast about magic and kind of just throwing them out there and seeing how we feel. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be a little bit wild. We're going to slap the explicit label on here, and we're just going to have a rip roaring uh, good time. That's none of those were lies. Uh, let's get into it. First hot take. Let's go. Who's starting? <laughs> we should have like a, a fire sound. Like we, um, in editing, I'll we see what I can do. Fire sound. First take. <laughs> Oh, wait, can, can we just get, like, a bullwhip crack? Like, <laughs> that also works. All right, all right. I'll see what I can do. I'll see all what right, I can do. let's get this first hot take crack a lacking. I'm going to, I'm just going to go and hit people with what might be a tepid take, what might be a hot take, who knows. The idea that power level relates to fun in any way. I think that drawing a graph between those is, is honestly, like, kind of stupid. I think that whether you're playing at the top end or the bottom or anywhere in the middle, like, you should still be able to have fun. I, th- I think that people hyper focus on that connection, and they're like, "Oh well, like I, I don't, I wouldn't have fun at the top, or I wouldn't have fun at the bottom." And I, I think people are too dismissive of that. I agree with this take. I don't know how hot it is. I'd give it, I'd give it like a, a reasonably warm, like I'd a, a you know, maybe. I'd call it the I medium think... sauce. Like this is like <laughs> you're ordering wings. This is the. I'd medium. say it's a lukewarm take. I think the biggest thing for this is that um, power level shouldn't correspond to fun. I think the biggest thing in terms of fun is consistency of power level across however many people are playing. Um, you wouldn't want to play a. <laughs> you wouldn't want to play a uh, <laughs> a competitive format like a standard or modern where someone had a much powerful deck more powerful deck than you and i don't think in commander it would be fun if one person either had a much weaker deck or a much more stronger deck balancing between people is good but i think if the whole table can agree ship it at whatever power level and i'll play the idea that oh it's the 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 spikiest of spiky stuff is not fun or the jankiest of jank is not fun is utter bullshit and that's the take next take wizards aka watsi aka uh the people who publish the game magic the gathering put out less product there's too much damn the rent is too damn high there's too much damn product you know what julian i'm, I'm right there with you honestly i think uh i think they're flooding the market i think they're uh, putting the 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 supply is you know, i don't know much about economics but it seems to me like the supply is going way up and uh 
Now, honestly, it just makes the personal demand, for me at least, go down a little bit. It's it's not as exciting and like hype when new sets come out. Um, just because I feel like we're always in spoiler season. So I, I think uh, apart from the fatigue of spoiler seasons and always like, I mean, some of that I think is because we, we produce a podcast that we're like hyper-focused. Like I'm in the past year that we've been doing Hex Drinkers, I'm way more focused on spoiler season than I was, you know, a year prior where it's like, oh, look at some cool cards. But now, you know, we pick some for hot picks and stuff. Aside from fatigue from spoiler season, I think the production of all this product can actually be a really good thing. For the exact same reasons, Oakley, that you're saying it's a bad thing. Confusion caused by booster fun, which is the initiative to have alternate arts, borderless arts, all that kind of stuff in packs. And if you guys were around for Podcast 19, where I went into how to get a Japanese copy of a Mystical Archive card, it's like it's like getting Regirock in freaking Pokemon Emerald. Damn, that's a deep cut and I'm here for it. it. You gotta translate Braille to figure out how to get these things. But I think it's one of the best things to happen to Magic, specifically because... It messes with people who invest in the game as a product. We see tons of new product. We see like every new rare that comes out probably has four different versions of it. And so we're seeing like all these legacy cards, all these other cards that are getting reprinted more frequently, more often, more product. And it's causing the prices to plummet. And you see people don't know what to put stake on. No card seems sacred because everything can be reprinted because of the list. And it's causing the price of these regular uh, rares and foils even, if they're not the alternate art borderless ones, to go down way further than they would have been last year. And that makes so many of these effects way more accessible than they would have been had these initiatives and had the product glut not existed. Is that a good thing for wizards? Probably not. But I enjoy having these fire sale prices for fire effects. All right, I want to I want to I want to say a few things. One, you're you're taking the conversation in a completely different direction, so I want to I want to go back to mine <laughs> first and finish off because you're you're talking about finances, and that's not what I'm not that's okay. not what I'm talking about. Um, one, we we stated the the fatigue from product is so much; it's just it's it's mentally taxing. And one thing I think about finances too is that with all these sets, whether people want to admit it or not i feel like a lot of players especially in franchise players like us and also commander players because everything is just commander 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 now i feel like a lot of people feel pressured to get product from every single set and when you have 10 sets a year that is a huge drain on people in general so i don't like that uh personally but i think another thing is just we have had so many issues from quality control to balance to everything in between if wizards just took time and say they they put out three standard sets a year instead of four and they only did one sub or two supplemental sets instead of four they would have so much time for quality control we've seen shit where it's just like these have the wrong words on them or these foils fucking suck or you know shit's curling or <laughs> whatever or like how did x y and z get past r and d or you know, how is this not properly even worded? Like they have to errata it before day one. There is just so many little things that Wizards needs to get right. And I feel like taking back a bit of product, which like you're saying, a lot of it's like reprint anyway, take back one of the new things, like keep your new ideas on deck because you can't, can't go forever. And just make sure that all your other stuff is in line, you know, get your ducks in a row before you start overextending yourself and just put out a quality product because it's it's shit like your cards literally not being playable that's going to turn people off of the game not because you printed some new busted simic rare into standard yeah i uh, julian's take was one that i 
if you had said it sort of to me without thinking, I would be like, that's a dumb take. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. But after thinking about it, like, I, I can definitely see the argument for it. I don't know if I agree or not, but because though Wizards listens to us, they don't really take our, our full weight of into consideration. Uh, it's not really something I have to make a firm decision on whether or not I agree with. Uh, but I did notice one thing that uh, Chev said, which is, nothing is sacred. Anything can be reprinted. Oakley, is that true? Well, you see, Eric, um, I, I know I said uh, just a minute ago that, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of Wizards reprinting like all these new cards and whatnot uh, all the time. And, and Chef came back with a very compelling argument, uh, you know, against or for, for reprinting cards very frequently. You see, the thing is, uh, these people Chev mentioned that like to sort of like treat Magic the Gathering like a stock investment market. Investment engine. Yeah, yeah. And an investment. Assets. Um, they're so, some of my least favorite people out there, not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> they're um, trash. Ever to exist. <laughs> the just idea and execution of the reserved list in Magic the Gathering. I think it's one of the worst ideas a tabletop game company has ever had. You have these grown adults hoarding Magic the Gathering cards. And so, like, this this reserve list is, like, wh why is it this sacred thing that, that Wizards needs to, like, just needs to keep around? Like, if they tomorrow announced, like, oh, yeah, okay, we're just gonna have a set where we reprint every card on the reserve list, I'd probably, like, cry, like, tears of joy, just because, just to see, like, I, I'd go on YouTube and scroll through, like, all the faces of people who are just like, like, I lost so much money in, like, magic stock or something like that. <laughs> it's, like, good. Go fuck yourself. As much as I agree with you that I, I don't like the reserve list, and I don't know if I have quite the same uh, venom towards investors that you and Chev do, I will say that that take, uh, Ice cold. I'm actually shivering in my room right now. Not a hot take at all, but it really just speaks volumes to how important and how strongly we feel about this that we're still mentioning it on our hot takes podcast. Yeah. Because goddamn, he just threw a glacier into the room and I was like, yeah, no, no, I'm still here for it. I'm good. I'll put my park on. We're fine. Like just, just full speed ahead. Yeah. And Julian, you you say that, but I think there are a lot of people out there who would think that that is or who would strongly disagree with that, especially, like, these, you know, again, these these people who take Magic as an investment. I mean, even, like, you know, within maybe a little bit of us, I mean, Chev, I know Chev's got that um, tropical island, you know, hoping that goes up in price to, like, double what it is right now. And, I, I mean, he's playing it, but, like, Imagine a guy holding like twenty of those <laughs> or more. Like I got hundreds. I got one tropical island for about two hundred bucks in twenty nineteen. It is now worth close to a grand. I don't. That's that's not Damn. what you should be paying for a land. It's and that's Dang the revised. You trying copy. to fly me out? That's it's it's crazy. That's the cheap version. Mm -hmm. Holy hell! Also, you the, killed oh, us don't with a hatred think once. About... So. Fuck you and your eighty dollars. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I'm looking at all these random reserve list cards that I I just own from stupid strategies of EDH decks past, and like they're all worth tons of money. But there's no reason for me to sell them and put them back into the market, which is another thing because like they can only go up. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, is Chev saying that he has become the exact thing that he swore to destroy? No, this is by accident. I don't go out and seek. These cards, I just look and I'm like, wait, this is worth eighty dollars. Well, Chev yeah. was the enemy the whole time. Oak, direct your hatred that way. Important distinction too is that Chev actually plays these cards. He puts them in decks and plays them against other people. Right. There's plenty of old school Magic players with reserve list cards that play them, and then it's like, yeah, you know, you 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 playing this because you want to play it. 
But people who hold on to it, yeah, no, I, I have no respect for those people. That's enough impromptu finance with Chev. Since everything has to be about me, obviously, uh, I, I wanna I wanna once again go back to my comment that Wizards should put out less product overall. Chev, you don't agree with that, but you have a similar idea in terms of you, you want to see less lore, less corsets, less planes visited. Uh, tell us about that. So I, I I think less lore is the exact opposite of what I'm trying to say here. And and my my hot take is we don't need to visit three planes a year. And I think the change from the block setting where you had one big set and then a couple supplementary sets that kind of added onto it to this idea Preach, where brother. each set is its own specific entity has really hurt the game in a lot of ways. Each set has to come up with its own theme, especially this year where we've seen a lot of really cool new places, but none of it has been fully fleshed out. And you get this idea where each set needs to introduce new mechanics, new idea, new identity to be considered a separate sort of journey. And then nothing can be fleshed out as well as we saw even in the Amonkhet Hour of Dev cycle where you had two sets to flesh out these ideas, two sets to tell stories. Even that was like better than where we are now where you get probably five story bits that doesn't really talk about any of the cards. None of the side characters can get mentioned. But then we also have the idea where these mechanics need to be pushed and shown off in each set. And we have the Omnaths, we have the Uros that are trying to showcase the best thing about each mechanic. And they're thrown in like very quickly. There's no build up to these uh, things. There's no support. There's no ways to deal with them. They just have to show something flashy for each new mechanic and move on. And that, I think, is hurting. You know, Chev, that reminds me um, of something that was just... We just saw happen in the most recent set. Uh, we see, like, one day, this, you know, really cool guy, who, like, I'm totally not biased towards because I'm making a commander deck about him, <laughs> Exodus, uh, with a spell on the back called Awaken the Blood Avatar. And then the next day, you get... You know, the spell that where the Avatar, you know, gets killed by Will and Roeth or whatever. And then, like, the same thing is sort of, I feel like, in War of the Spark. It's like, oh, yeah, wow, like, all this cool story's happening, and then let, we'll just throw in a, a prison realm in there real quick. Just a uh, bullet yep. hanging out in the prison realm. Yeah, yeah. A little uncommon. A damn uncommon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's definitely something to be said, too, for these story spotlight cards. Like, where the entire story is resolved in a single spoiler season, Lorwyn had freaking novels for each set and you're just like where maybe that level isn't necessary but we need to go back to somewhere closer to that i think the three block system was a bit much i think the perfect place is going to be that two block system which is what we pretty much grew up on right we hit into cons and then it was origins was a corset and they immediately went into that two block system for about two years yeah maybe a little more than two years i think that's the perfect thing um i'm gonna use some strong words I think the the disrespect to lore and to set mechanics is a, a drastic miscarriage of justice. One of the things that we've talked about the most, and I think that Wizards really needs to pay attention because Commander is such a big thing. Yeah, people yeah. Are love building decks around keywords. And guess what? When you have one set, aka 280 cards, to develop like three new keywords slash abilities slash whatever, and you also just have to have other random, you know, filler things for limited, but plus good rares and shit that need to go into standard. You don't develop these things. Like there's so many cool keywords that could be fleshed out over the course of two or even three sets. Cause if you're staying on the same plane, right? You can keep those same keywords across those things. Like we used to see in the sets of old. So it's just like when you give me 10 cards that have a keyword on it and half of them aren't even good. Cause they're just limited crap. I can't build a deck out of that. Like, 
or even in standard, people love to build decks based on these things that you've established. And I, I feel like I'm sure we'll shit on uh, all sorts of things throughout the course of this podcast. But one thing that I think Watsy has been doing really good is that I think a lot of the mechanics on late have been interesting things to work with. There's just, there's not enough cards. You, you can't, you might be like, oh, this was a flop. It's because you, you literally played one uncommon and limited and that's it. And you didn't see, but there's so many cool things that can be done. So the fact that we are hopping and hopping and hopping, and I think it's, it's some sort of stupid testament to modern day consumer culture that we just don't have the attention span to really focus on something. But like, listen, if I could have Cal- Kaldheim part two and part three, you know, I'd be fucking ugh, all over the place, you know? <laughs> Um, a, I hope we edit that out. Just that that noise needs to go. But B, uh, I'm gonna get a sploosh sound. Okay. Um, I I think that initially when they switched away from the three block system, their initial claim was we're not saying we're going to two, we're not saying we're going to one, we're not saying anything. We're saying we're going there for as long as we need to. And they seem to have just dropped the idea of as long as we need to and stuck with the at least we're going there part of like, ah, ooh, ha, new ideas. They're just throwing them everywhere. And like we it's it's like reading a bad young adult book, the rate at which we're moving from location to location. Whiplash. You know, what's really fucked up, too, is uh, at least before this, there was something I never thought I would talk positively about the Gatewatch because I fucking hate the Gatewatch. Oh my god! But <laughs> oh, like, that should have been my hot take. I like the Gatewatch. Oh, I mean, we can talk about that in like you know thirty seconds. One, but uh, at least beforehand, when we were jumping and jumping and jumping, it's like, well, we have the Gatewatch tying this together, right? Like they're recruiting new members, they're solving problems while also trying to chase down Nickel Bolas and all this stuff. So that's fine. But now we're just like, oh, Vikings. <laughs> People going to Harry Potter, like yeah. There's less cohesive. Oh, it's Ikoria. There's scary monsters. Like we might see something from the Phyrexians and the Praetors, but like that's that's a one-off card, and then we're told shh and stuff. And it's not really it's not really the same underlying theme that at least brings all these places together. Yeah, that was the most interesting part to me about Kaldheim was the fact that they were like bringing back the Phyrexians, and we speculated. I think even on this cast, we were like, oh, so they're gonna like have little bits of Phyrexian stuff in like each set, and I was like, oh, Ginger Taxis is gonna be he's like the smart one, right? So he's gonna be in Strixhaven, and there wasn't anything. So like, at least give us something. They're just like, oh, hey, remember Luca, that guy that everyone hated from Standard, but he also was a Planeswalker in Ikoria? Well, he's here, too. We, we have no idea what his actual story is. Like, is it the cards or is it the book? What, on what level did he leave Ikoria? He's not even important enough to be on the front side of his own card. He got beat out by a damn fox. <laughs> hey, he's got a cool dog. You know, I was just going to say real quick, like, you pretty much took like, you know, five minutes to summarize essentially one of my hot takes, which I thought was a lot hotter, but apparently not, seeing as how we're all in agreement, how Magic's, uh, you know, storyline and characters were just all really way more, like, cool and compelling back in the day. Dominaria and, like, Weatherlight, and, you know, individual planes like Kamigawa, Lorwyn, and, of course, like, the Phyrexians. It was just, like, it was so much cooler. Like, when's the last, like... What's, what's the most recent, like, really cool, like, interesting, you know, fleshed out, like, really awesome character or, like, Planeswalker that, that they've talked about? Like, I, I can't even think of one. Like, honestly. I think it's Sarkon. Yeah. Like, outside of the Gatewatch, I think it's Sarkon. Yo. And that was... He, Sarkon's he underrated. He came around, like, when we started, pretty much. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that was, that was like, yeah. six or seven years ago. That's how long ago it's been. It's like... 
Wow, are you serious? The last time, I think they had a, a three-beat story to develop a character. I really liked Amonkhet as the last time we had, like, a really cool idea. Like, Kaladesh had a fun one, but, I mean, that's just going back to when you had two sets to develop it. But the whole Hour of Dev Amonkhet, like, wow, these gods are really everything to these people. Okay, this shit is messed up. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. And you have, like, that kind of turn as Gideon does the trials himself and does all those things. And you have, like, that interesting thing. Yeah, but even then it was just like, alright, yep, it's the Gatewatch. Like, you, you care about these guys, right? And it's like, no, except for Eric. Yeah, I'm actually going <laughs> to piggyback off your point to say, like, I think that, to some extent, like, that was a good time in magic storytelling. Because if you, it, it's what I was saying about, like, a, a bad young adult novel. Where, like, they, they love to tell stories from multiple perspectives, and they love new places. And so they're like, it's a new perspective in a new place, and your response is, then why do I care? We're halfway through this book, you're showing me a new perspective in a new place with new characters, and I just don't understand what's going on. And so, at least with the Gatewatch around, you could say, okay, well, here's familiar characters interacting with a new place. We know... Jace is, like, a weird little mind boy who, like, is kind of a wimp, but, like, can step up when he needs to. But only when he, he really, really needs to. He can step up when narrative to. direction allows him to. Yes, yeah. when when narrative direction forces him to. Which is often. But until then, he's, he's a little soft. <laughs> yeah, he is, dude. Fucking pussy. And, like, we know that, like, despite being, like... A druid, like, Nisa is, like, kind of, like, distant from the Gatewatch and is, like, is, like, kind of separate. But, like, this big event in Hour of Dev, like, kind of forces them together. And so, like, the Gatewatch was a, a storytelling vehicle. It was Mystery Machine Gang, like, going to different, like, locations and investigating these mysteries. And, like, sure, you may not care for all of them, but, like, they are a consistent element that brings together this larger story. So I I agree that that's a thing that was cool to have. What I disagree with is that they got Planeswalker cards in every set, which allowed, which, like, the set could have people of their own that'd be super cool to develop. But instead, we had to make sure we got a Nyssa, we had to make sure we got a Chandra or a Gideon, and they all kind of do the same thing. So it, it was less like, you know, when Planeswalkers first came around, I know people have opinions on Planeswalkers, um, but, like, at least we got different ones every time. And maybe maybe I would feel better if, yes, we had the same five characters, but like we do kind of now where you have the same one character shows up for a couple sets in a row, then another character, then another one. But instead, we just have the same group of five. And so it was like, oh boy, I wonder which of them is getting a Planeswalker card this time. And then for me, the Gatewatch, cool as a vehicle, but I'm not looking for Scooby-Doo level character development in a set that's going to take up way more money of and time of mine than Scooby-Doo. Like, they didn't do anything. So, so something that Julian just brought up about uh, Luca not being the the face of his own card. I think you really, saying just brought up is a is a little bit of an understatement. I think we've been going for another five or ten minutes. Well, I didn't know what you were going to do with editing. No, I think he's just going to keep that whole mess. <laughs> he's going to keep the whole mess. Excellent. I mean, it, we'll see. I guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Circling back. That's why I was just giving. Dude, circling it. back is the motto of this podcast. Circling back. Just a, let me just. I just want to go back to what we said a few minutes ago. All right. Complete non sequitur. MDFCs have overstayed their welcome. I'm tired of them. I want them gone. And that is because when we originally got them in Zendikar Rising, they had their fun. They were they were great when they were introduced. And this is something we've seen with a couple themes where an idea gets brought in. It's pretty decent. It's pretty balanced. And then it just gets blown out of proportion. Like we've seen recently with blue and artifact removal. And it's just like... Pfft. But specifically here with MDFCs, we, we saw them originally in Zendikar Rising and it was, you have a tap land on one side and a creature or effect on the other. And it was like, that was pretty cool. You know, at most complex case, 
you have a decent creature on one side and a shock land on the other. And that was really doable. They hand you these nice little transform cards that you can write what the card does and you're pretty confident. And there's not a lot of cognitive load there. Then we saw call time. And call time was like, we have a we have a creature and we have something that's related to them. And it's like, okay, you know, even there I was starting to feel like, why wouldn't they just be two separate cards? If this is Torolf's hammer, why can't Torolf hold his hammer in an EDH deck? Which, yes, we're not developing for Commander, but it still seems weird that they're the same, like, sort of spell. But, you know, they're, they're thematic, so we'll move on. Just clone him, brother. Then we get to freaking Strixhaven. These cards have nothing to do with each other, and they're just <laughs> thrown on the same piece of cardboard. Like, even thematically, the Deans, like, you have two Deans of a college. Sure, okay, but they're different people. Why are they on the same card? Like, <laughs> I, I, I think Oakley brought up um, that, oh, like, there's only so many spots. We want to show so many things. Cool. But, like, either pick or stay here for two sets so we can see all the Deans. Two like, sets, there's no two reason sets. this needs to be on the same piece of cardboard. There's no relationship to these things, and it's just overly complicated. Like, they, what is the purpose of a dual-face card if it doesn't help with mana flooding, if it doesn't help with anything else? It just allows you to play more spells, I guess? MDFCs were so cool when they first came out, right? Because it's like, it's once again that versatility and they started perfectly with Zendikar. Mm -hmm. Like, they're like, Zendikar cares about lands. So like, if you're flooded, here's the thing that's a creature, but also a land. But then also, if you have landfall things, you can play this as a creature or if you just want to get a few landfall triggers, boom, there's a land. Perfect. Then, call time minus lore inconsistencies with the gods. It was only the gods. There was like, what, six or seven MDFCs in that set minus the the lands, which that doesn't count. (laughs) And it was like, oh, it's Odin. Like, Odin can come through, or whatever the hell his name is in, in that set, uh, or his Aldar. Raven, you know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah, it's that like, guy. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole thing. Or, like, the thing with Cool was, was like, oh, it's Valky, but actually it's Tybalt. Right, yeah, so like some of them you know, really made sense. He, he reveals like him himself. Like his, his right. um, freaking Raven, because they are the same creature. Yes, yes. So, so those were cool, but once again, it was only, like, six or seven cards. This one, they're just, like you said, it's, it's all over the place. It's like, they're like Strixhaven. Oh, it's the instants and sorcery sets. We're slinging spells. So I'm like, okay, cool. Oathkeeper. Like, Oathbreaker, whatever that format is, have have the creature and their signature spell on the same piece of plastic. Yeah, right. You have like a reasonable creature and on the backside, it's like a slightly overcosted spell, right? So it's like either side is not optimal, but it's the versatility. But then, yeah, they're just doing these things where it's like, it's two Deans. And once again, like you were saying with Toralf, why can't I have him and his hammer? Why can't I have both the Deans? They, If you read them, they're supposed to work together. They're supposed to be together give us two sets give us one set like the old ravnica sets had five guilds and then five guilds give us half the deans and then half the deans and also just split these things up it's too complicated it's not friendly to new players it's too many darn words and it feels like wizards is just trying to cram as much as they're they can. solving a problem they created by only allowing us to have one visit per place and now they need to cram everything about that place into the five week period and hope we care i'm, I'm gonna take the first like potentially aggressive stance i think that that take does not make a lot of sense that they need to stop doing them i think they just need to do them better they're a really cool design element and they are one of the first steps wizards has taken outside of the box in a long time i feel like they're one of the first steps where wizards has been like what if we got a little spicy with it and the first time you know step back they connect great job second time Foul ball. And this time, I'll admit it, they, I, I, I think they just struck out. The, the, the Deans just don't make any goddamn sense. But I think that they just need more at-bats. They need to figure out what makes sense where you can only have, from that lore perspective, one or the other. 
So I think that actually a phenomenal place for this would be Lorwyn. Is it morning or is it night? And this creature will be different based on that. There are planes and there are situations where, like, if a character sacrifices themselves to create something, you can have the character or what they created. I think the car- the modal du- DFCs have to make sense either mechanically or thematically. Thematically in the sense where you can only have one instance of this thing on the field, like Odin and his raven, um, or mechanically where, like, it's good to have one or the other, again, going back to Zendikar. But with Deans or, or some of the other ones in here that are just flip creature on each side... It, it seems like what problem is this solving? Like, oh, I, I want to play a four mana 4-4 four, four with abilities that's green versus I want to play a four mana with 4-4 four, four with abilities that's black. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't really change the game any, and so it's hard to see why these have to be on the same entity. I actually think I could come up with a good MDFC for any set except Strixhaven. <laughs> like, I think, like, Amonkhet, you could do, like, a character, like, before and after the Trials. Like, that is a definitive, like, binary point where they change. What? They're mummies now. They're dead. <laughs> I'll hit you with one quick one before we probably move off this. Liliana, back as Professor Onyx. Maybe other side could be, like, actually Liliana. That would be wild. A dual planeswalker. Julian, how do you feel about planeswalkers? I, I agree with Eric's statement that we are probably harshly judging MDFCs just because Wizards uh, screwed the pooch in this one. Don't know if I have the faith for them to recorrect course, but I would like to see them do that. One thing, though, that I think is definitely overstated to welcome, and honestly, I might argue shouldn't have ever been a thing in the first place, is Planeswalkers. I've been talking a lot, so I'm just going to let you guys go at it because I feel like that's I just dropped a bomb in the chat. You know? uh, I think Planeswalkers have a place that exists, but I wish there were more ways to deal with them. Like, that's the thing. We, we've seen them come out, and only recently have we seen cards that are, like, specifically targeting activated abilities that, in turn, target Planeswalkers as a way to turn them off. But I do agree. I think, like, in their earliest form, they were kind of, like, cool things that existed, but now they're just completely overpowered. And when one hits the battlefield, as when I'm playing Standard or any other format, it's almost game over, because at that point, it's, it's a lost cause. I think war did great things and terrible things for planeswalkers where they're like, Hey, planeswalkers don't have to be busted. Like planeswalkers can suck and that's fine. And that was a great powering down. And at the same time, it was like planeswalkers can have passive abilities. And you're like, what? Like, yeah, no, sometimes you just can't draw cards. It's super fun. You said planeswalkers don't have to be busted. And I was like, um, but they can I think also you mean be planeswalkers can suck busted. or they can be yeah. busted. So like, or was just such a radical decision of like, Hey, we know we can make these low power, but we won't. Fuck you. <laughs> Arlen Cord would like a word. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely like, there's room for all these cards to be underpowered. But I think the argument that is constantly made is like, Planeswalkers are the faces. Like, they're the characters that people want to see. So they want them to be OP. And it's like, no, that's what legendary creatures can do. Like, there's nothing a, there's nothing a legendary creature can't do that a Planeswalker does better. I, I, I'm sorry, Julian. I, I will let you talk in two seconds. Go, go. go. Uh, for everyone not in our voice call, um, so maybe the one person who listens to our podcast that isn't, Julian just reenacted the Drake meme live in real time of, like, the no, yes. When Chev was like, planeswalkers, Julian was like, ah, kind of gross. And then he said legendary creatures, and Julian immediately was, like, pointing at the screen and going off. Like, this isn't even EDH. Like, just, just give us legendary creatures that are powerful people like they were meant to be in the first place. Oh, man. Well, uh... What I, what I was going to say when I was doing that was because I was thinking back to when Oak was saying, 
the story has just been so lackluster recently. And I, I really think honestly, it's because it's been focused around planeswalkers and not legendary creatures. Like if you're talking about the old Dominaria days, like classic, like Lord of the Ringsy style thing, like your dudes are going on an adventure and now it's like planeswalkers and they're just like, Oh, look at these. And then from a, a gameplay perspective, it's just like, they warp the game so much. It's like, it's adding, it's like adding another, you know, it's playing. Now all of a sudden this is two headed giant because there's another player who can also be attacked and their life can be deducted. And they're also casting spells every turn. It's just, it's not fair. And, uh, let's be real since they're the mythics and the rares and the face cards, they get busted. And I really think that, especially after hearing that sagas were the initial idea for planeswalkers, which I think sagas are probably, the best thing that's happened to to magic in a while, you know, with like MDFCs being the second best, it just like why why have we ever had planeswalkers? Please just get out of my life. Give me planeswalkers with only minus abilities. They can only be around for X number of days, no passives, like we saw in more of the spark. But they do like two or three things, and then they're gone. They're here like as an assist, and that's it. I think one of the weirdest things I've experienced in in magic over these past couple of years is either liking certain characters more or less based on the way they perform in the game. And because the story has been so Planeswalker-centric, it's been like, wow, Teferi, like, he's this pretty cool guy. You know, he's back from the old days. You know, I, I liked his... I liked his, Fuck that guy. <laughs> I like... No, I'm getting there, Julian. I'm getting there. <laughs> so this is the saga. Um, uh, it starts with liking Teferi, like, oh, he's cool. And then it's just like, they print him in the Commander 2014. It's just like... All right, what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> and then they print five mana to fairy, and you're just like, "Come on, I hate this card!" Like this is the like this is such like this is a good control tool in like any blue white deck, like any ever printed. And then three mana to fairy comes out, and it's just like, "I don't care, I hate to fairy. He sucks." And especially with the voice acting, he just sounds so snide all the time in MTGA. They should either cut the voice acting entirely and also the 3D animations because those are just ugly. Like, some of the 2D ones are fine. Like, I like the stomp. Like, Bone Crusher Giant stomp, like the little shadow. That's awesome. When I see Kinnan come out of his card... Oh, yeah, that's a little weird. It's, it's hideous. It, it's not like... Okay, Kinnan is like himself like just one <laughs> ugly motherfucker but like the like nasty 3d <laughs> art that they like, got bad 3d models yeah and i like, think the only thing the only one that i really dislike is questing yes it enters it's hitting immediately so then you see the animation but the it's animation like, uh, isn't stationary uh, yeah they're on the receiving end of three giraffe heads like flying towards you the animation hasn't even finished by the time you've completed your attack step yeah and it's just like what this is I had to be insulted by a three-headed giraffe at, like, breakneck speed. This isn't what I came here for. I, I agree. I, I think that is the worst offender of, of all the animations, the questing beast. Who knew Eldorain would be where our problems lie? Oh, Chev. Square Enix was oh, doing Chef. better 3D animation in 2005 by, like, leaks. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. In this lull, I'm going to hit with a hot take that's going to pivot us in an entirely new direction. It's a two-for-one hot take special because it's been a minute since I've, I've thrown a take out there. A, Rule Zero is a weak and bad excuse for how the EDH Rules Committee has chosen to develop the game. It is a fail-safe that they continue to lean on and lean on and lean on, and that's not what fail-safes are for. And additionally, people should use it more because they're overusing it. So I, I know I said it's a bad rule, and I, I, I don't like that it exists, but because of the way the Rules Committee has chosen to use it, every playgroup should be using Rule Zero, in my opinion. Rule zero is one of those things where you say it and you're like, oh, 
Like, I know that we have this EDH ban list or whatever, like, here's the blah, 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 but, like, rule zero, just in case, we got your back. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure rule zero is just called being, like, we're all friends here and, like, we're mutually agreeing that we want to play this game and, like, have fun and not start throwing bows, you know what I mean? Like, don't take credit for this thing that's just called being a good human being. For sure. I think there's something there for, like, you know, wizards will constantly talk with with, uh, the formats under their control about... Oh, there's there's kitchen table magic, which is one way to play. And you you get these new cards. You don't really know what they do. There's no real format. You just grab a bunch of boosters and you run at it. But we also have standard, modern, and all these things with banlist and all that stuff set up. I feel like EDH has to go in that direction where it's like, are you a format or are you not? Are you just a social contract for like what can be in my stack of a hundred cards? Because if you are a format, have a more concise ban list. And be like, people are going to play Kitchen Table EDH. If EDH is the number one format that people are playing Magic, people are going to run whatever they want and it's going to be crazy. And that can be your rule zero. And you can help cultivate and develop this community in a much better way with a much more like, are you trying to play this at a level where it's an actual format? And then just have a ban list that makes more sense. Because this thing hasn't been updated in years. And every time it's just like one card, maybe one card, not. And when you're in a 100 card deck, that doesn't really make a difference. The ban list is so confusing, inconsistent, and just terribly strange in the way it's constructed. I This is my soapbox, but I'm, I'm getting on it, not this time to get on my soapbox, but to, to, to just talk about what they want you to use Rule Zero for. They have banned Coalition Victory. They think they, that is not a card that should be playable in the game Magic the Gathering. So they've banned one of the worst win conditions in Magic. Yet when the competitive community comes to them and says, hey, I just wanted you to know there's this thing that's super prominent in our format. It's in a lot of decks, and it's getting to a point where it's it's almost overrunning the format. There's other decks that work, and you cannot play it, but it's one of the best things to play objectively. Do you want to do something about that? When your decision is, oh no, honey, you're not who we're CDH talking to. CDH should just have its own ban list. Yeah, it's not yes or no, it's we don't care. It does on MTGO, it should yeah. just in practice. It's a different format. I, I think that someone else needs to come forward and be the rules committee for CEDH, or I think the rules committee needs to say, you know what, here's three ban lists. Here is the kitchen table ban list, and it's rule zero. Here's the like Canadian ban list, and it's it's the point <laughs> system, or it's a power system. Uh, where like yeah. more cards are banned, and then here's the the unbanned list where it's like all cards are legal. Um, I would like to propose a thing because this is one of my hot takes, and I think p- potentially one of the hotter takes. Uh, an easy way to fix all of this is I personally, <laughs> as much as people love to shit talk Watsi, I think Wizards should take over the rules committee. I think they should just come through and just give them the old the old uh, corporate takeover. I think that's a terrible idea. Litchev, I, I I appreciate that you disagree with me because that's exactly what this high quality content is all about. But let me let me speak briefly. So we've already established we don't really like what the rules committee is doing. Um, uh, let's be real, the rules the rules committee, and we praise them because they created a wonderful format, one of our you know our favorite format of all time, and uh, probably the most popular Magic the Gathering format currently. But let's be real, uh, the rules committee. Uh, are not gods. They are merely um, a few uh, middle-aged men who like to play card games in their spare time. They're a playgroup. Yeah, they're a playgroup. They've gotten more inclusive recently. But yeah, no, they're they're essentially a playgroup. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Thing, things have expanded, of course, as things have popped off and they've become more uh, of known quantities in the uh, 
the magic realm. But once again, they are, let's say eight people. Let's say it's a full eight people, you know, a full two pods worth. That is not the weight and the manpower of a billion dollar corporation, uh, AKA Wizards of the Coast. Backed by Hasbro, of course, whatever. Um, although I think Watsy did hit a billion this last year, which is pretty, they did, pretty yeah. freaking wild. Um, so shout out to Watsy for like doing good things. Um, with all that money, why don't you fix your print quality? If Watsy comes in and takes over the rules committee, things will finally be unified because Commander was always this weird kind of outside stepchild that Watsy was like, oh, we're printing things for Commander, especially in the beginning. They were like, we're doing this thing, but it's kind of this this other variant. They were like kind of almost hesitant to acknowledge it if they just say hey we're taking over we're setting everything there's no confusion you don't have to go to the rules committee's shitty website which looks like it was made on windows 95 also once again wizards has for as much as we talk smack sometimes wizards has r&d they have the ear of the entire community some people don't even know the rules committee exists and when wizards says we're gonna do x y and z like when wizards was like we're gonna print unhinged or they were like we're gonna print companions or they were like we're gonna print lessons you know all these things that don't work normally in the commander format and then we kind of all look and we're like uh rules committee um you gonna you gonna do anything about this you're gonna say something you know we're looking at them whatever they do really they can't look good either they're making the wrong decision because it doesn't feel natural to how things play out in normal magic or it looks like they're just puppets of wizards anyway just dissolve the rules committee Keep those people on. They all are knowledgeable about the format. They know what's going on. But give them the money, the manpower, the and also the prestige of being Wizards of the Coast and being the final authority and just really crystallize the format into what's good and what's not as opposed to having this weird kind of split custody of the most important format at this point so julian i have i have a couple questions for you about your take you know no, sure, nothing I, i'm coming from a place of complete you know middle of the road <laughs> but uh how do you feel about the way that wizards has handled the banning of cards in standard over the last two years in what way is there is i mean i'm trying to see are you trying in a to way do you think cards have overstayed their welcome in standard past when they should have been banned yes so my my big problem is i don't trust wizards with commander we've seen what happens with the year of commander we get so much random stuff it's too much like we saw last year with all these kind of broken things that i mean yes they haven't destroyed the format no we haven't been playing in person and yes we're kind of like confused but i worry about if commander is held by the people who make the cards we're going to see similar decisions to standard where a busted card gets made and it takes a long time to get banned because they printed it and it's selling pre-cons and so you have these things that are like, you know, if I'm the one who's kind of overseeing this thing that I'm creating, I might be very cautious before I ban any of it. And to that point, I personally think we shouldn't even have Commander Precons anymore or Commander Products. Because I think a lot of the time we're getting these cards that are kind of like trying to play this balance between like Super Busted and New Hotness and it's failing a lot of the time. They're not cards that I enjoy seeing. They're cards that I would take out of my decks, like Hull Breacher or Opposition Agent. I, I don't see any reason why these should be printed in this format besides you're just trying to sell cards, which I think is if Commander is this format where you get to play weird and janky things, that shouldn't be under the same control as the people who are printing the busted things in the first place. I'm actually more concerned, Jeb. You you, you think they'd be too light with the Banhammer. I think they're, they're going to be, like, aggressive with it. Because at one point, Wizards 
made their own commander ban list for like dual commander when they were like ah it's not edh it's dual commander is ours is we we had an idea everyone and the ban list was way too much in like weird ways it was like hey we banned like all fast mana including soul ring and that like they they just had like i i know that you're fine with that that's a huge blow to competitive edh yeah cdh should be a separate format yeah and so I think that, like, if you turn it over to Wizards and they don't, like, split up the formats, I think they're going to be like, uh, middle's fine, but I think that they're going to ban, make, like, really weird ban decisions at the top end. And also, like, maybe some weird ban decisions in the middle, too, of, like, here's this card that just pub stomps and we're going to ban it and be like, but that's fun. Like, if you're not pub stomping, like, if everyone's playing a seven, that's a fun card. If, like, everyone's playing a 5 and one guy's playing a 7, that's a terrible card, so, like, don't... Yeah, I think... I'm worried that Wizards would hit a bunch of cards that don't need to get hit, and then would, as you said, like, probably miss some of their own product. And be like, ah, no, that's fine, we just made that. I think the ban list is a whole other contentious topic in its own right, and we're planning on doing a podcast on the ban list at some point, so stay tuned for that, of course, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, listen to all our content, plug, plug, plug. Um, I think this is where Rule Zero is a good thing. Because if you look at whatever Wizards decides is the ban list, and I think Wizards, the smartest move on them would be to like chop in half the ban list that currently exists and just leave it at that and then just say rule zero for the rest, like other than cards that either totally break the game or are like, you know, anti-cards and shit. Just do your thing. I, I don't know if that would happen or not, but the biggest thing for me was just like, how magic functions as a game. Like we've seen a lot of new and innovative things happening in the last couple of years. Mainly I'm looking at like companions lesson. These are all things that function weirdly in regards to EDH, just due to the nature of the, the format companions versus work with EDH. It's just Lutri that was banned because of the singleton. Clause. No, just in, in general, let, let, let me go just in general. There's, there's all these things that are weird or aren't intuitive or whatever. Having with wizards of the coast as the authority of that sort of thing, I think is the best idea. And I think the other thing is that even if Wizards is like, blah, 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 here's a ban list, whatever, whether that's a lot of cards banned or not enough cards banned, I still think that people are going to be like, we don't want to play, you know, stacks. So if you play stacks, we just don't want to play with you. Like, it's like, it's, you know, we're going back to kindergarten again. It's like, oh, you're, you're too rough when we play whatever. So it's like, we're just not going to play with you, which I think is always kind of like the great equalizer. But I think that just from an outward facing point, the split nature of, the rules committee and wizards is just, I mean, wizards has enough PR issues as it is. They, they need, uh, <laughs> some, some coherency and some togetherness in, especially in terms of the most profitable format for them. Chev, I agree and disagree about your pre-con points. Um, I think that once again, goes back to wizards print less product, still print commander pre-cons. I think being able to print cards that are specifically based on a multiplayer format outside of standard is good because you don't want to just have like a random will of the council cards, you know, in standard, like that doesn't make any sense. So I, there needs to be a place to print them, whether that's like a battle bond type set or whether it's a commander precons or whatever. Um, but I a hundred percent agree with you that things have been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Once again, I, Wizards is a company. They are backed by Hasbro, which is a company. They need to sell cards to make money. That is always going to be their goal. I think they can still achieve that without breaking the game by doing all of these things. So even though I agree with you, I think that people need to temper their expectations and always kind of have this lens of reality to be like, okay, yes, this is also how it is though. I gotta say, 
I, I just like don't agree at all with the idea that commander precons are bad or like they should stop making them. I think that's I think they were good in the beginning, but we've gotten to a point where they aren't good anymore. Similar to MDFC is like we had a good thing going. It was decent and like okay powered, but in the effort to kind of push these cards to make them more exciting, more interesting, we end up think with things like Arcane Signet and other stuff where it's like there's no value for this card being printed besides the fact it can be run in any deck and it sells packs. I appreciate where Commander was when we first got started. And yes, that has like a, you know, back in the old days and member berries feel to it. But it's like when you had to pull together these scraps of cards and make something that was unique and interesting and you were okay having janky themes because there wasn't a best way to play certain styles, that was a lot more interesting and engaging than there's the best copy commander or uh, we have the, the best cycle commander. And it's everyone who's like printed for a certain theme and it's like, oh, the best token generator. Like the, the, there's no thought process that goes into it. It just becomes, this is my commander. These are the cards that are printed for this specifically. These are all the best cards. And it's not like there's other tribes to pick from. They're just best for commander always includes and those are the things that i think really hurt the game of commander overall i gotta be honest i appreciate your explanation of your stance i continue to disagree you know for a while i had on here a series called the top shelf where it was about yeah, whatever brewing. happened to that it fell off after an article sort of died in my lap and also i got much busier at work that too but the top shelf was about brewing a commander the ideal way the, ma the max power cdh way and then brewing them my way sort of for fun at, like, a medium power that I would play with you guys. I think that, like, you can just do that whenever you want. It's just be like, oh, I'm not going to do the best thing, and that's fine, and that's fun for me, because I like the way this commander looks, or I like the way they play. I like their lore. And so I think the idea that, like, the fact that there is a best option is bad is, like, fallacious to some degree to say that, like, it's bad that there's a best choice, because if they got rid of the best choice, the second best choice is the best choice. I, I agree and I disagree. I think that while you're right for like combos or, or, or things that are somewhat like you're aggressively going to the best thing in some broken aspect, but printing cards that are just the best always at the precon level is like, oh, like, because if precons are how you see new players entering the format, new players are being greeted by Arcane Signet, which is like the best mana rock of all arcane time. Arcane Signet, you say. And so it's not so much, what? Well, yeah, Soul Ring. Well, okay, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt. I'm oh, saying, no, I was I'm kind of referencing Eric has a yeah, point about Arcane, Arcane Signet. Signet is a good card, and we'll get to that, and we'll get to why. <laughs> right, so so you have that card in there, but that's like, if Precons are the base level, like, we, we have to assume Precons are the base level. You can always say, yeah, you could just throw 10 cards, 100 cards from your binder together, and it makes a deck. Like, technically, that's EDH. But if Precons are where most people are entering, and that is already the level that you're playing at, it just completely keeps pushing up the bottom of the format of EDH. And I know a couple people have been talking about this on Twitter recently, which is why it's really kind of like home with me right now. But it's if you keep pushing up those power levels, then it's like, where does the jank go? Where does that kitchen table magic go when it's every player already has an Arcane Signet? And then, yeah, you can choose not to play Arcane Signet. You can choose not to play the cards that make all your elves super powerful. Okay, so now you've made your back bad. And everyone else can play cards that are better. And there's no real distinction between um, sitting down in a pod for the first time, what level they're playing. And so it's it's like, yeah, you can choose not to play the most specific best cards. But when they're not like a combo deck or something that is to that competitive level, you have no reason not to play it. And everyone else is going to be playing it. So you should too. Yeah, I, I think... I where I actually sort of want to meet you in the middle and agree 
is that there, there's a narrowing, right? If we start at like a full pie with like, you know what, the pre-cons are, are the bottom of the barrel. The pie is getting smaller where, yeah. where CDH is the top and pre-cons are the bottom. There's just less and less space between them. And, and then, you know, there's like the shitty pie dregs that like didn't fit in the pie pan. You're like, you could also eat that if you want and no one wants to. <laughs> like if I'm going to build jank and lose to the uh, doubling tokens always Simic precon, then like there's no there's no place for it. Well, you shouldn't be playing jank against that deck and you know that because you're an adult, but uh, we're not going to get on that. If this podcast was cold takes, we'd talk about Simic Chev, but it's hot takes. So we talk about Rakdos. Any, yeah. any of the precons. I want to address <laughs> the Arcane Signet point. Um, it was brought up a couple times. Arcane Signet bad. Arcane Signet bad design. It's been said many times on this podcast, many times on Twitter. I totally understand that they think it's bad design, and I'm fine with that. As someone who relatively early on in my Magic career really enjoyed a five color commander with the Ur dragon i really support the idea that they were like hey let's make like some good deep in the colors support relatively available because initially it wasn't at initial launch bad very bad that you're like hey here's a thing that everyone should have you can't have it you need to give us 40 dollars right now <laughs> but now that it's so available like this good when you know shock lands are really expensive fetches are really expensive Good mana rocks are expensive. It's just drowning in expensive, expensive, expensive to build a good five-color deck. The fact that there's this one mana rock that's like, hey, like I can make all your colors. Just like don't even worry about it. I think is good design. I guess where I'm at is just like there's no reason never to not play it. And I I get really stuck on cards that are good in every single commander deck. Like command tower, sure, that's a land. Like we have t we have Mystic, whatever the one from Theros is. We have City of Brass. We have these other ones that print for all colors. I'm not too worried about that. But something that's like much more easily found in your deck. And like it's it just lowers the number of cards you can use to make something unique. And so if you're even playing at like the pre-con level or, you know, at a, a level where other people are going to be playing decks, like, yes, you can play Jank. Other people are playing decks that are of a similar power level. And you end up with like, okay, I have my commander. I have my Arcane Signet. I have my Command Tower. I have my this, my that, senses, and everything else that fits in the colors. Like it just... Right, exactly. Soul Ring, um, everything else. That's just like, it cuts down what you can choose to put in there versus like what you'd be dumb not to. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. You know, they've been doing a great job of printing cards that are specifically you're not deep in the color support. Like, hey, this is a reward if you have zero, one, or two colors. Otherwise, it's probably at cost or worst. Yeah, that was, that was Commander Legends like kicking some serious butt. But like, give me give me an arcane signet with a downside. Like, give me one that's like it can only tap for one color, and it puts like a counter on it, and then you know it has to tap for a different color next time or something like that. Just more restrictions, like we see with the talisman cycle or the signet cycle or any of those, where it's like, yeah, okay. In the case of five color, it's great, but I think there's enough other ways for five color to find fun. That's fair. Yeah. What what I was gonna say was I would love to have seen arcane signet. If that was their goal, was to support people who are in three, four, and five colors, then print a card like they printed for Commander Legends with having few colors, where it's only really good if you have a lot of colors. Yeah, four or five, where it's like, you're specifically there, whereas three colors kind of just like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. But yeah, give me give me support for four or five colors specifically. All right, I believe we're getting in towards the lightning round. All right, I, I got one for you boys real quick. I'm pretty sure this is going to be unanimous. Uh, everyone uh, thinks I'm wrong about this. Um... Magic the Gathering Online 
the, I don't think the UI is all that bad. Maybe it's partially sympathizing as like a programmer. It's just like, wow, th this game must be very, very hard. It's terrible. It's, there's so many mechanics it. and it's so complicated, but like the fact that even with this like UI, like I can do everything that I'd be able to do just by like t holding a card in my hand. It's just like, that's pretty admirable. And you know what? It doesn't look that bad. It's kind of like the old, like, you know, kind of Windows, like, solitaire look to it. <laughs> Very I mean, To be fair, Oakley, we use the terminal on a regular basis. We're used to terrible AI. As someone who uh, is not a computer programmer, um, someone who sympathizes with Moto, because I think it does a lot of very good things, and I, I sympathize with the people who had to program it, because goddamn is Magic a complicated game. Uh, the UI is ugly as fuck oh my goodness and it has not been updated in many many years please just put a shiny new coat of paint on it you don't need to change functionality at all just make it look better i think your take is incredibly hot i got burned a little bit and goddamn do i disagree <laughs> i don't have a stance on the ui that much it looks old because it is old and it is old because no one wants to do it anymore and that's fine it was a herculean effort that they completed and they were like never again yeah. Yeah. uh and like, yeah, the UI's not great, but, like, hey, just, like, I don't care if I have to wait two weeks to play Moto after the product is out in paper in my hand. Fix the bugs. Please, dear lord. You can't be like, well, at least it works when it doesn't fucking work. This is true. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there an issue with Commander Legends when it came out for, like, two weeks, how all the drafts kind of just, like, ended weirdly? Yeah, a Hexdrinker-sponsored draft uh, was was deleted by a glitch I, I, was, I was pretty deep on tilt. Honestly... I don't know much about Moto, but I know that there are just some cards that literally, like, don't work. You just can't play them. Like, I've heard from, like, people on stream or, like, various podcasts or whatever. They're just like, oh, yeah, X, Y, and Z card. Can't play it. Doesn't work. That shouldn't be a thing. As soon as you hear that a card doesn't work, go in and fix it. Yeah. Come on. Speaking of hearing that cards don't work and things being weirdly broken, uh, Hearthstone and also Legends of Runeterra, much less so are also digital card games. Uh, they are strictly digital, whereas Magic is also a paper product. So they get a lot of freedom that Magic doesn't get, like generating random cards and generating cards from outside the game. And erratas just for free on the fly. Uh, however, they also have design aspects that I think Magic can learn a lot from. And, and I think to some extent they have. Uh, Hearthstone, probably, it, it's got to be three or four years ago at this point, had two cards that were... Uh, gave you rewards for print, for using strictly even and strictly odd-costed cards. Uh, we saw that last year in Magic. Um, Hearthstone also has, like, uh, d cards that reward you for doing singleton things, or cards that reward you for running a suite of cards that have uh, the same type in terms of, not like, oh, it's an instant or a sorcery, but, like, it is a nature-based instant or sorcery. It is a shadow-based instant or sorcery. Um... And I think that that is something like tribal instants and sorceries are a great idea that they had that they can bring back and they should feel free to bring back. I mentioned it with MDFCs, how they took this like step outside their typical safe space and they were like, what if we design something new and unique in that avenue? And I think that they need to look to their competitors and say, what great ideas do they have that we're just miles away from and how do we get there? Because like, obviously they're different game systems, but They've shown that some of the ideas are adaptable. Even if they aren't trying to adapt them, they did adapt the idea. Uh, I, I want to see them sort of take more inspiration from their competitors and sort of learn more from uh, people who are new to the game. I 100% agree. And I think some of the biggest things that they can learn from these other um, arguably more successful 
card games is things about being a digital card game and also things about potentially being an esport. I think that Magic the Gathering in, has incredibly dropped the ball in terms of those areas so far. And I think that looking at things like Hearthstone and Legends of Ruterra and XYZ other games that I don't know slash won't mention, uh, I really think that there are so many easy sort of fixes that you can make to just be a much more palatable game uh, in general. I do I do worry a little bit about like overly solving for online. Um, I think there's there's sometimes and it, it hasn't come up really recently, but I, there was a while where I was kind of on high alert because we'd see things like, oh, this is no longer a May trigger because that's another click online. And I don't like hearing that in my paper cards where like in person, there is no difference between me choosing whether I want to lose a life and draw a card or the card just doing that for me. And yes, I'm like, with that example, you could make the argument that, oh, the card is like, you know, the risk reward of playing, doing this effect and getting that. But if if you're telling me the reason that the effect isn't a may is because it makes online play easier, I don't like that. Yeah, I hate that. But like, if you're going to make decisions that are solely for online, they should not affect the paper copies. Because I find that that is just like, you, you you end up in the situation with EDH and CEDH where you're trying to solve two radically different birds with a single stone. Yeah. I, I too worry about Magic. You know, I, I haven't really ever played like Hearthstone or Legends of Runeterra, but I, I worry about Magic becoming centered around the design for like an online game. Like, Chev, we, we went on this whole rant earlier, I know, about like MDFCs. That, like, that really seems like a, a symptom of like, uh, like oh this is a, now an online game to me because it's like when you're holding a virtual card it's like who cares if it has two sides right you know it might as well be a split card for like for all that it matters i can right click on it and see both easily etc yeah. yeah exactly that's actually a great point because chev and i got into it earlier where he was like oh i want to make a a deck based around this card that like flips cards over and i was like oh you should look at like uh the werewolf sets and like things like that that were really centered on flipping cards over and he's like nah those are both the front I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, transform doesn't work. Transform only works with cards that can be transformed, which is not modal dual face cards. Those are just dual face cards. It's it's like one of those avenues where it's like, sure, okay, that works when it's a land versus a thing. But now that it's just two creatures, like, why why couldn't this exist on Innistrad where it's just like two sides of the same guy at dark and light or whatever? Yeah. I saw that conversation and I was, I just immediately was like i'm not even reading the rest of this because i just i have no idea i have no clue um so i i don't i definitely don't want them to take the inspiration in like oh digital only effects like uh hearthstone one of its biggest problems is that it's just filled with random nonsense like there's a card that's like oh hey replace all the spells in your deck with spells that cost three more but they cost three less and you're like why that's just (laughs) chaos why (laughs) um and like it's it's just like Hearthstone has its own suite of design problems. And those even and odd cards I mentioned, banned. Strictly broken. Both of them were immediately removed from the format they were printed for. But I want them to look at these creative ideas that other people are having and say, make more cards like multiple choice where it's like, hey, why don't we interact with X in a new way that's never been interacted with it before? Or, you know, why don't we care more about our own hand size and like controlling our own hand size and like is that number even or odd or or just really strange right, things? Hey, 
stop throwing back to Kamigawa. <laughs> Let's get crazy. <laughs> Eric, I think you raised a good point there. I'd really hate to see Magic start to design cards that work really well in online and not in like just terribly in paper. Like imagine if there was a card that was like, draw a card, shuffle your library, draw a card, <laughs> shuffle your library, draw a card, <laughs> shuffle your library. It's just like, we talked about like guided passage the other day, having the like opposite problem where it's like, oh, this card's so much easier to play in paper because I can just take my deck and give it to my opponent and be like, pick three cards. But like, if, I gotta if, send you, know, you my Moxfield link. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this this would be like the reverse problem. So like that that it would be it kind of suck to see something like that start to happen. But like I I guess we're sort of in the same zone right now. There's there's probably some things that Magic can learn from like yeah. Any hot takes we haven't gotten to that people really wanted to get out there, put into the world? I think I have one last one, but I, I don't I don't know if I want to get into it. With you. <laughs> Is it your fifth one or your second one? I just need to know. It's my second one. All right, I'm fine to talk about your second one because you're dumb and wrong. Julian, <laughs> I'm here for you. No, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. I mean, we can talk about the fifth one too if you want. The, the fifth one, I just I don't even know what you're gonna say. It's so confusing. <laughs> We're getting close to time, so Julian, I'd say pick your favorite. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm just gonna let's slam this out in like 60 seconds. Uh, my last hot take is land ramp should not be a thing. It's core to green and is like one of green's like dominant advantages. I think that doesn't make any sense. But it could be done so much better. Green does so many other things now. Like, why does green also need land ramp? They have creatures that can tap for mana, and no other col color has that. Uh, blue does now you are making things up my friend no there's like two specific blue cards that tap for mana but only in very specific circumstances like i'm talking lanawar elves elvish mystic anything that's on rate taps for that rate things that are actually good i'll admit that was a bad argument of mine but i didn't just know that blue had creatures that tap for mana i think that like mana advantage is like core to green and like that's that's part of what green does right they get ahead of you but like they're spending cards to get ahead of you. We we've established one that man your mana advantage comes from creatures. Two, the color pie, if land ramp wasn't a thing, green just wouldn't have it. They would have something else. You know what I mean? You can't be like, "Oh, well you uh, land ramp because green has it." It's like, "No, no, no. I'm like, no, that shouldn't be a thing." When you go and you're like you're like, "Okay, you have like your little cousin like you're at Thanksgiving whatever and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to teach you magic." What's like the first thing you do? You're like, all right, buddy, shuffle your deck, draw seven cards, and then you can play one land a turn. One <laughs> land a turn. You can play one of those a turn. One of the biggest things about Magic, as opposed to other games, like previously mentioned Hearthstone, is that you have mana constraints and you have to construct your deck in such a way that you can hit those mana constraints to play the cards in your deck and you are playing a certain amount of lands because XYZ, you know that you'll be able to hit whatever. There's a sort of variance in there, but it's also a test of your deck construction. Land ramp kind of just negates that. It just they're like they're like what whatever. We don't even made care if you made a bad deck as long as you draw your two lands. You can play your rampant growth, and now you can play your cultivate, and now you can play your you know explosive vegetation, and now blah blah blah. You can do a bunch of that stuff, and you can play a stupid fucking Hoogan. Am I partially salty because the last year and a half of standard has been dumb <laughs> ramp shit? A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent on the design team. But like land ramp and the fact that it's strictly focused in green drastically warps all formats. Not even our favorite one, EDH, which I would argue it it warps the most because of, you know, the stereotype of battle cruiser magic. People are just like, okay, well, I'm going to ramp, 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 and then I'm going to play my nine drop. And then my nine drop is going to fight your nine drop. And we're going to see which nine drop comes out, except for when you have stupid busted cards, like emergent ultimatum and other shit like that. So why can't we all, why can't it just be a proper battle of resources? You know, uh, 
as it was meant to be, you know, as Garfield intended, blah, blah, blah. We're all playing one land a turn and we're trading resources until the better man can come out on top. Not just, oh, well, I, I happen to draw my expiration and I had six lands in my hand. And then my last, my last card was a fucking whatever the hell, you know what I mean? So I, I think it would just really alleviate a lot of the problems that come through across the board and just make it a much more, uh, skill intensive and fair game. You're asking for it to cost resources and you're like think people have to spend resources to get benefits they're spending cards from their hand cards in your hand are a resource that they're spending sure there are creatures that tap to make mana but i think that the idea of i spent a card from my hand and i spent mana i'm going to go get more mana is fine because in theory if you rampant growth turn two and then cultivate turn three and then turn four maybe you play your final ramp spell and then turn five you do something or even if you do something on turn four you spent the first three turns of the game doing nothing and spending cards but i think i think the, the issue with that mentality a little bit like i'm not i'm not fully sure that ramp itself should be completely gone away but if you on turn two play a ramp spell so you go into turn three with three lands you drop your land for the turn you're at four you cast explosive vegetation you go into turn like five with once you've add the six lands, you put your seventh one down, you have seven lands, turn five, you can play something that can just warp the game to a point where the other ones who haven't had that ability can't. And so it, it, especially, I mean, a lot of this conversation is obviously going to revolve around EDH, but if you end up in a situation where you're much farther ahead everyone else, you can put a damper on them much quicker than they have a chance to kind of get up there. And even if it's the resources in hand sort of argument, like, yeah, you spent two of those cards, but you had a seven drop. And so you end up in a situation where it's just like the game is essentially warped in a very real direction. It's kind of exponential, Chev, isn't it? Like a, a four drop is, is not twice as good as a two drop. It's it's much better, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Is what I'm, you're trying I'm to gonna say. I'm going to play slight devil's advocate here and say that I think land ramp is kind of a cool aspect of magic that you don't see appear in a lot of other card games like hearthstone where it's just like I, I do think it can be done better like we talk about like oh you, you tap two mana you play a rampant group that's spending a resource but is it really any different than like tapping two mana and just like my card is now just a land that i'm playing uh i, I think cards like arboreal grazer for example where it's like you play this card and now oh the etb is like i can play another land like from my hand it's just like that's a little bit more like card advantage for mana advantage which is like like mana advantage is, is a huge thing like you know as, as we've been discussing it's just like i, I feel like it's, it's just a little i need some tweaking it could be balanced better than it currently is but maybe it shouldn't be taken out altogether that's my that's my take give me lands to hand but lands to battlefield i think is where is where it gets a little bit hectic yeah yeah that i'm so much closer to agreeing with that deck to hand and deck to battlefield are better or deck to hand and hand to battlefield are much better than deck to battlefield yeah. I agree with that completely, and that's actually one of the design spaces where I've, I've hit the same issue that you've hit in a lot of other spaces, Jev, where I'm like, man, I just want to run the best ramp package, but there's so many cool ramp cards that, like, yeah. I want to play. They're just slightly worse, and then it's like, okay, you know, when I when I try and play this, and, like, the number of times I'm like, well, if this was a ramping growth, I wouldn't have this problem. You just end up playing the best package for everything, and you see, like, I think it was someone on Reddit recently, and it was a super cool undertaking. They made an entire wall of basically half decks or chunks. And it was like, oh, I'm feeling like playing, you know, some Boros legend today. So they pull out the like red chunk, the white chunk, the artifact ramp chunk. And then that's a deck and it works. And it's because like you only need that one artifact ramp chunk because there's like nothing that really compares or the green ramp chunk 
and like that's that's it and so it, it's hard to like really look for these niches unless you have a commander that is really really unique and plays off these really really unique cards and that's i think why i end up in all these thematic holes because then i can justify playing weirder cards than just whatever the the ramp package is of the week and i have to be like oh i'm in colorless so i have to really think or like i'm dealing with minus one minus one counters is there a way i can kind of exploit this in another card that kind of benefits me in both it's ways? a lot more difficult and i guess generally frowned upon to interact with land ramp as opposed to the other two like it, no one really likes it when you run like you know mass land destruction but it's just like oh that could be considered fair because of the amount of like lands someone's cranking out but like um you know mass artifact removal no big deal. I, I think that sets it apart from the others. That was a nice clean ending, and I apologize when I said that that last take was going to take about a minute, and it took about 10. Um, yeah, watching you on the camera just but, be uh, sad was pretty great. <laughs> no, I wasn't sad. I was just like, well, the thing was I kept looking at my recording software, and I was like, oh, we're just, it's just like, we're, we're at an hour 35 right now, which is uh, by far the longest that we've ever had this thing. So hopefully some editing will be done. I don't know why I say hopefully, like, I'm not the one who's going to do it. Let's end his misery, Julian. I was going to say, I'm quite hot. I don't know if it's from the takes or because I've drank like three beers over the course of this podcast, but... Uh, I drank like two gallons of water, you animal. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm feeling hot. I'm feeling warm. I'm feeling spiced up. I'm feeling like a... Uh, I don't know. I feel like I really got some stuff off my chest. Um, talk some good shit with the boys. So I, I think we're just going to... We're just going to leave it at that. If you want to hear more shit from the boys, you can go to hexdrinkers.com. See... Uh, all of our shit you can go to apple podcast spotify anchor see this shit plus you know previous and or future shit um you can also go to uh youtube and twitch and see nothing because we don't do those um and you can also go to twitter and instagram to, to fucking talk shit did we mention this was an explicit episode and we didn't give a fuck it's our podcast we can do what we want uh anyway at hex drinkers at all of those different things you'll find us um yeah. Uh, Fuck you, you don't do what I tell you! Eric, Oak, Chev, Jules, we're the Hex Drinkers. We had a good time, we hope you did, and we're signing out. Go. Oh, shit. The suspense is just killing me. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, so god. are we actually recording, Julian? Yes. Yes, we are we are recording. We are recording. Are were you not recording? No, I've been recording. Julian just likes to make more work for I... himself by just like having this big section he has to cut off at the beginning. What's well, fun? It's cathartic because you just get to slice. It really is nice, like a full minute off the front. No, but I, I click OBS and then I gotta like you know, open up my notes plus have Discord and like, you know, split split it so it's like one here one here because I, I don't have two you think i look at you idiots so. when doing this podcast <laughs> what? it's good to know and then also sometimes i like, I, I, I just guys... wanted to it was a joke about your calling people wrong <coughs> or dumb or being excessively rude during the podcast thing <laughs> i see